This podcast is brought to you by the Reform Witness Committee of Hope Protestant Reformed Church in Walker, Michigan. It is our goal to spread our distinct Protestant Reformed views based on the Word of God and the Reformed Confessions. We hope that this message is edifying to you. What is the work that God calls the civil magistrate, his servant, to do? The work that God gives unto the civil magistrate is of a physical nature. He calls them to the physical work of bearing the sword. That's the word of God. Romans 13, verse 4, He is the minister of God to thee for good, but if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. That the civil government bears the sword means that the civil government has been given a power that is different than the power that God gives to the leaders of the church. You see, the civil government is not the only servant of God on this earth. The leaders of the church are also servants of God on this earth. Paul frequently identifies himself in his books of the, of the scriptures as the servant of God. And so on the one hand, you have leaders in the church who are servants of God, and on the other hand, you have leaders of the civil government who are the servant of God. But there are different powers that are given to these servants of God. To the civil government, God has given physical power. He has given them the power of the sword. But to the church, on the other hand, God has given a spiritual power. To the civil government, the civil servant of God, God has given them the duty to maintain justice and the duty to maintain equity on this earth. But to the church, on the other hand, God has given them the duty to maintain the righteous cause of God. In this world, these two spheres of power must be kept separate. The civil government does not have authority over the church. If, for example, the President of the United States were to be a member in a local congregation, then the council of that local congregation would rule over the president. There is a distinction between the power that God has given to the church and the power that God has given to the state. And always, we as God's children must remember and maintain this distinction between spiritual power given to the church and physical sword power that God has given to the state. At times throughout history, the lines between the power of the church and the power of the state has been blurred and confused. There's been fault on both ends, fault both on the end of the church as well as on the end of the state. Throughout the Middle Ages, it was the church especially that was at fault. The Roman Catholic Church crossed over the line and took to itself power that did not belong to the church. It took sword power to itself. It took to itself the right to judge and even 
kill, put to death people, uh, people at that point in time. But at other times in history, it's been the state that has especially been at fault. There are times where the state has required of the citizens of its nation that everybody go to church, that you go to the state church. And if you don't go to the state church and abide by the rules of the state church, that then there will be consequences for your disobedience. Well, that too is wrong. And so, as God's children, we must always be careful to understand and maintain this distinction between the spiritual power given to the church and the, the, the sword power given to the state. It's serious business when these lines are blurred. And the seriousness of blurring these lines is that neither side has the ability to do what God has commissioned the other side to do. The church cannot do what God has commissioned the state to do. And the state cannot do what God has commissioned the church to do. The church cannot punish the evildoer. The church doesn't have the ability to punish the evildoer, for the church does not have the sword in its hand. One time, Peter, the disciple of Jesus Christ, tried to take that sword in his hand. When the armies came into the Garden of Gethsemane to capture Jesus Christ. And Peter took that sword in his hand. And Peter, as a leader in the church, was going to stand up against the evil that was being done to his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Peter swung that sword and he cut off the ear of Melchus. Peter's attempt to use the sword resulted in him getting a rebuke from his Savior. The church does not hold the sword. But on the other hand, the state does not have the ability to do what the church does. The state cannot legislate Christianity. It cannot legislate Christianity because Christianity is a matter of the heart. And the state has physical power, not spiritual power. At best, what the civil government could do is require outward conformity to the law of God. Outward conformity to the second table of the law, which governs how you treat your neighbor. The civil government could, I suppose, require don't steal, don't kill, don't commit adultery. But there is no way that the civil government could require one to keep the first table of the law, to have no other gods, not to take God's name in vain. The civil government does not have the ability to require of its citizens that they keep the great commandment. Love. Love God and love the neighbor. And so there is this distinction between the spiritual power of the church and the sword power of the state. 
Specifically, God calls the civil ruler as his servant to do two things. The two things that he must do is punish the evildoer, reward and protect the one who does well. Punish the evildoer and reward and protect the one who does well. We read in Romans 13 verse 3, that the rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. And the fact that they're not a terror to the good works implies that they are to protect those who do good works by being a terror to those who do evil works. And then in the next verse we read that the government is the, ser- the minister, the servant of God to thee for good. The government must use its physical power in such a way that it seeks the good of those who do well. Whatever then would be a threat to the citizens of a nation, the government has the duty to shield its citizens as best it is able from that threat. And so if the threat to the citizens of that nation is an enemy, a hostile nation who is trying to invade and conquer and overwhelm the citizens of that nation, then the government has a right to stand up and to bear arms against that hostile nation. It has the right to use the sword and even to use a draft to call people to pick up weapons and to fight against that hostile nation which is invading their nation. If the threat to the citizens of a nation is a disease, if it's COVID-19, then the government has the right to use resources at hand in order to protect the physical well-being and the physical health of the citizens of their nation. The government is to use their power to protect the citizens of their nation, for the good of the church. 1 Timothy 2 verse 2 instructs us to pray for kings and for all that are in authority that we may lead a quiet and a peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. That's why the church is a minister of God to thee, to you, a servant of God, to you for good, so that you may lead a quiet and a peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. The other side of the calling that God gives to the government is the government is to punish the evildoer. He not only protects and rewards the one who does well, but he punishes the evildoer. He bears the sword, and he bears that sword not in vain. The government has the duty then to judge. If the government is to bear that sword against the one who does evil, then the government must have the ability to adjudicate. He must determine between who is doing good and who is doing evil who is the obedient and who is the lawless inhabitant or citizen of his nation. And so it's proper then that there be courts 
in place and judges and juries in place who can be the judges determining whether one is lawless or whether one has been obedient. And then following on the heels of that judgment that has been given, the state has the right to execute a punishment that is appropriate to the crime that has been committed. And so if a citizen of a nation has stolen from his neighbor, then the government has the right to punish that individual who has stolen and to force that individual to pay back what he has stolen and perhaps spend some time in a jail cell as well, contemplating about what evil he has done. And if a citizen of a nation commits an even worse crime, if he goes out and steals the life of his neighbor, kills his neighbor, then the state has the right given unto him by God himself to go out and to find that individual who has, who has murdered his neighbor and to hold him accountable. And if the state judges so, he, the civil servant, the civil magistrate, may end the life of the one who has killed his neighbor because he bears the sword and he bears that sword not in vain. Verse 4 of Romans 13 tells us that the government is a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. He has been appointed by God to execute God's wrath upon the one that does evil. He is God's servant. God determines the nature of his work. God determines where he will work. And God determines what he will do. Thank you for listening to this message. It is our hope that it was edifying to you. Please subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to them to be notified as future messages are published. We welcome you to join us on Sundays for worship at 9.30 a.m. and 5 o'clock p.m. You can find more information about us at our website, hopeprchurch.org. Also, you can follow us on our Hope Protestant Reformed Church Facebook page. And you can email the Reform Witness Committee with any questions or feedback at hoperwc at gmail.com. Thank you.